Good morning, Tangier. Good afternoon, Tbilisi, and good evening, Busan. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founders John Fowler and Helen Zhang to discuss the collapse of Moldova's government and massive protests in Israel. It's all coming up. All right. Morning, John. You're up first. How are you? I'm doing okay today. Uh, Big news week, but uh, holding in there. Yeah, big news week indeed. Actually, what we're talking about started uh, last week, uh, and it's carried over quite a bit. So we're talking about uh, the collapse of Moldova's government. The story broke on Friday. Uh, We covered it briefly in the newsletter. I even kind of mentioned it in the podcast on Monday. But we didn't devote a ton of attention to it because... Heads of state resign all the time. I mean, Moldova's foreign minister said it was just a standard rollover of administration. But uh, since then, the intrigue has only grown and grown. So what's the latest? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, so, I mean, to give some background, uh, last Friday, the Prime Minister Natalia Gavrilita announced she'd resign uh, alongside with her entire government, saying that she lacked enough domestic support to govern. Uh, She was a a pretty pro-West, pro-European kind of prime minister, uh, and she'd overseen in the last 12 months, uh, well, before that, but particularly in the last 12 months, she'd overseen an effort to sort of join the EU and like become more pro-Western. She resigned on Friday, and then on Monday, uh, Moldova's president, Maya Sandu, held a press conference detailing what she said was a Russian plot to overthrow the country's democratically elected government. Uh, the idea here, I guess, to sort of turn it into a puppet state of of uh, uh, Russia. And something else to note is that on Tuesday, uh, the Moldovan government closed its airspace for about two hours uh, with no explanation. And uh, the New York Times is uh, amusingly reporting it's due to a presumed air balloon. The the attack of the air balloons isn't isn't uh, constrained just to the US. Um, but it came also days after a Russian missile crossed across Moldovan territory, so you can understand why the Moldovan government might be a little bit uh, a little bit sensitive um, in its airspace. And I guess just to wrap up the background on this, uh, the president uh, Maya Sandu has nominated another pro-EU figure, uh, the current national security advisor, um, to become the new prime minister. So Sandu's party holds a, a comfortable majority in Moldova, so it's expected that. Um, you know, the new prime minister will will be appointed without too much hassle. So it's kind of pro-EU prime minister to pro-EU prime minister. So it's not clear what changes have been made, but, um, you know, that that would take an expert in Moldovan politics to explain. (laughs) Neither you nor me. No. Uh, (laughs) That is quite a series of events. But, John, I mean, let's let's be honest here. Inflation in Moldova was over 30% in December. I think it cooled a bit to 27% in January. So is this really a Russian plot or is it a case of a government inventing a conspiracy to explain away its political failures? Yeah, I mean, it's always a good question, right? Because you can never be, you should always be skeptical when people say, oh, it's a plot to, to do X, Y, Z. I mean, I, I've, I've pulled out the, the dog ate my homework how many times to you? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Russians stole my homework. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it isn't hard to imagine, right? There, Moldova borders Ukraine uh, and Russia is a big fan of this kind of uh, 
you know, installing a puppet regime via the back door by sort of, you know, violence in the country and, and kind of installing pro-Kremlin leaders, um, particularly in countries they are worried about slipping into the orbit of the West. And, and that was certainly the case with Moldova. Regarding your inflation comments, I mean, it, it's very true that the economy is, is in pretty bad shape. Moldova imported before the war, Moldova imported, I think, 100% of its natural gas from Russia, um, which obviously gives Russia a lot of leverage over Moldova, um, but also explains a lot of the inflation, right, because of, of energy prices um, over the last 12 months. The last thing to note, I guess, is that Russia does have its uh, fingerprints all over Moldova. Uh, it has 1,500-odd troops permanently stationed in this area called Transnistria, which is technically part of Moldova, but is more like a Luhansk and Donetsk, this kind of semi-autonomous, um, not lawless, but kind of almost like a breakaway rebel region. Um, and they've been there since 1992. So, you know, Russia has a deep, deep uh, involvement in Moldova. It's got leverage over the economy. It's got troops on the ground. So, you know, it, it's pretty plausible. Last question here on, on this is, you know, for months, Western leaders have worried that the war in Ukraine could escape Ukraine's borders, right, and spread across Europe. Are we seeing that happen? Are you worried that that might happen here? Look, it's hard. It's hard to make predictions, but it's not impossible, right? Um, it's Moldova is not a member of NATO. Um, a decent proportion of its population are, if not pro-Russian, very ru- culturally Russian, and and sort of support. Uh, the Russian identity and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've got a media infrastructure that's pretty pro-Russian, um, not to mention the troops and all, all of that. So, you know, it's it's certainly a possibility. Um, I think it's important, though, that Europe and NATO haven't forgotten about Moldova. I think Germany is supplying uh, armoured personnel carriers. There's a delegation of the British Ministry of Defence going to Moldova this week. Um, and NATO defence ministers met yesterday and to, uh, discuss you know, additional measures to kind of make sure that Moldova is protected. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Europe and NATO haven't forgotten about Moldova either. Um, so, you know, Germany's supplying armoured personnel carriers. Uh, there's a delegation from the Britain, uh, the British Ministry of Defence going to Moldova this week. Um, and the NATO defence ministers met yesterday to discuss additional measures to protect Moldova. So... I think if you summed it up, it would be to say that Europe is, you know, worried that the war could spill over into Moldova, but it's not at the top of its list of priorities either. All right, welcome back. Now joining me to discuss the ongoing protests against judicial reform in Israel is Helen Zhang. Helen, how are you? Hi, Ethan. I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, so I I wanted to invite you specifically because I, I think you spent some time in Israel during your time as a diplomat, right? Yeah, that's right. I served in Israel from 2015 to 2018. Oh, well, that's terrific. Then this should be easy for you. So, all right. Uh, What are these protests and when did they begin? Well, the protests have been going on across Israel for about a month now, mostly in Tel Aviv. Uh, But over the weekend and into Monday, roughly 100,000 people rallied outside Israel's parliament, which is also called the Knesset, in Jerusalem. 
Now, from what I understand, they're protesting about a slate of judicial reforms proposed by newly elected Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government, and critics say the reforms would undermine the independence of Israel's judiciary by allowing elected officials to make judicial appointments and allow the Knesset to overturn judicial decisions, which is a huge deal, right, because Israel's judiciary has long been seen as an important bulwark against majority rule and a protector of minority rights in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think critics are saying that this would turn Israel's judiciary into something akin to maybe Poland or Hungary's judiciary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So what I don't quite understand, if there's so much popular discontent around these efforts and all this criticism about how uh, these reforms might impact Israel's judicial system, why is it that Netanyahu's government is so keen to go ahead with them? Yeah, that's a great question, Ethan. Netanyahu and his allies say the judiciary has grown too powerful and doesn't fairly represent the interests of the Israeli people. Judges have been appointed by an executive committee of fellow judges rather than lawmakers. And so Netanyahu says that this system is wrong and that appointments by lawmakers should make the, would make the judiciary more reflective of voters. Well, Netanyahu is not, obviously not you know, a stranger to power. He's the longest-serving prime minister in Israeli history. And keep in mind, his first term was in 1996. So it's worth asking why now is the time for him to undertake these reforms. So for me, two thoughts come to mind. One is that Netanyahu's new ultra-right-wing coalition is openly disdainful of judicial interventions and wants less judicial oversight to pursue its agenda. The other thing worth noting is that Netanyahu has been under serious corruption investigations for several years now. I think it was going on when I was still there and may be keen on curtailing judicial power because of that. This is the easy question, uh, predicting what happens next in Israel. So what what (laughs) does happen next in your mind? (laughs) One can never easily predict what happens next in Israel. It's always a a box of chocolates. Uh, But on the (laughs) legislative front, I think coalition lawmakers had passed the reforms out of parliamentary committees on Monday, and they will face a whole Knesset vote starting this upcoming Monday. So Netanyahu's coalition controls, just to remind you, more than enough seats to pass these measures. But the opposition clearly looks set for a fight. So watch that space. So As I mentioned, this fight could easily really boil over. Um, Several opposition lawmakers have said that these reforms could push the country towards violence, and Israel's largely ceremonial president, Isaac Herzog, had intervened with a speech on Sunday to warn that the reforms could undermine Israeli democracy and put the country on the brink of what he called social and constitutional collapse. Now, Israel's political center and left have all but hollowed out in recent years. So these protests are the best form of political expression available to people that are worried about these proposals. And look, Ethan, I think they'll continue for a whole lot longer. Well, there it is. There's your prediction. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to call you back uh, and and either applaud you or reprimand you for how it goes. Hopefully applaud. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Alan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. The border between Armenia and Turkey reopened for the first time in 35 years on Sunday, as Armenian trucks enter Turkey to deliver aid to earthquake survivors. The border was last opened in 1988, when Turkey sent aid to Armenia after a devastating earthquake. Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen has forced one of the country's last independent news outlets, Voice of Democracy, to shudder. Hun Sen faces re-election in July and consistently tamps down on free speech ahead of voting day. But considering he's ruled Cambodia since 1985, we think he's got pretty good odds of winning either way. 
And that's gonna do it for me. By the way, have you ever been fired from the same job five times? One former president of Ecuador has. Uh, but you'll have to check out the International Intrigue newsletter to get the full story. I promise it's a doozy. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday.